from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. On this episode of News World... There are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding... in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believe to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, shattering that building. Bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. The United States will not tolerate it. Well, they're evil, they're cowardly, they're unspeakably shameless. Two suspects now have been identified, known only as John Doe. They're both about 5'10 to 5'11, about 180 pounds, both with brown hair, one with a crew cut, the other with a tattoo. Authorities now believe the truck that bore the bomb was parked in a space alongside the federal building. A second vehicle may have been nearby to permit the bombers to escape. The FBI said today it was a huge explosion and that the explosive used was most likely a simple combination of fertilizer and fuel oil. The Oklahoma City bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building on April 19, 1995, was one of the most shocking moments of domestic terrorism in the United States history. It was a tragedy that took the lives of 168 Americans, including 19 children. In 1995, Oklahoma City Mayor Ron Norick 
appointed a 350-member task force to explore ways to remember this tragic event and honor those who were killed. The result was the establishment of the Oklahoma City Memorial and Museum, which was created to remember those who were killed, those who survived, and those who were changed forever. The memorial and museum would show the impact of the violence, but also offer comfort, strength, and peace to those who visited. I had the privilege of visiting Oklahoma City in 1995 when the bombing occurred. And I just recently visited the Memorial Museum a month ago where I met my guest today, Carrie Watkins. Carrie is the executive director of the Oklahoma City National Museum and Memorial. Carrie, thank you for joining me to commemorate the 26th anniversary. You'll be advised of that. Uh, with regard to this proceeding, basically there are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding. <laughs> explain to us what that's an audio of. Yes, sir. First of all, an honor to be with you, and thank you for being on this journey with us these 26 years. That's a meeting being held in the Water Resources Building, just across the street from the Murray Federal Building on the morning of April 19th. And it's a routine government hearing where they record those hearings, and they start on time, they go through a procedural call, and in that, they began to go through the countdown of the day of, of that meeting. And, you know, it seems mundane, and you kind of find yourself looking around the room, and all of a sudden you hear really the only recording that we know of of the bombing of the Afropimura Federal Building. And then you begin to hear the human reaction of getting out of the building and out of the room. In that building, two people died. And then in the Murrah Building, 165 others, and then someone else died on the street later a nurse that came to help but it's a breathtaking kind of recount of what was going on that day and how normal we go about our days and how you just don't know what's going to happen you know it really is a vivid reminder that we're always in the middle of normalcy surrounded by the possibility of something so shocking that it seems abnormal of course in this tragic case on april 19th 1995 among those 168 Americans who died were 19 children, which I think gave it an additional emotional power. The establishment of the Oklahoma City Memorial Museum, which was created to remember those who were killed. And it's fascinating because it's not a stark place. It does show you the impact of the violence, but it also offers comfort to those who visit. You really have a sense of being connected with history. And I happened to be speaker at the time, and I stopped by to see shortly after the bombing and to be there. I went in very quietly, did no media, didn't want to disrupt the people who were still in the process at that point of looking for survivors and trying to find out how much damage had really occurred. And we did everything we could in the Congress to be helpful both to the recovery, but also to the creation of the museum. Recently, I had a chance to visit. Would you talk to us a about your memories of that tragic day? 
I was like all Oklahomans a day going about my day. I was finishing my MBA and on my way out the door to a class and I heard a, a loud boom and watched the garden doors on my condo go out and come back in. And so I stepped back in and flipped on the television to, in a few minutes, saw this helicopter shot, which is what you see as you come out of our hearing room out of hearing that sound in the museum, really the first and only helicopter shot of that morning. And local television station, Channel 9, happened to be in the air. They flipped their helicopter around and came back through downtown and showed what became the world, these pictures of this building bombed out with the guts of the building ripped away by this 4,000-pound bomb. And so I think I was just like everybody else trying to figure out what I could do to, to help or give back. Did I know anybody? I certainly knew that building. I knew that part of downtown, but you know, what would it do to our city? Nobody, I can tell you, in the first few minutes that I knew of thought it was a terrorist attack. You know, I have to say that this should be on the must-see list of anybody who goes to Oklahoma City. You'll never forget it the rest of your life. And it will remind you both about the good and the bad, about a man and his accomplice who clearly were crazy and who were clearly doing things that were evil. At the same time, I'll show you the heroism and the commitment and the decency of so many people. So I would urge everybody to put a visit to the Memorial and Museum very high on the list if they go to Oklahoma City. But would you just throw a moment, Kerry, explain both the outdoor symbolic memorial and the Memorial Museum, because you have two different centers of activity and centers of learning right there. Yes, the, the memorial is a 3.3-acre site in kind of the heart of downtown. It includes the footprint where the Murr building once stood. It includes the street where the rider truck pulled up and McVeigh detonated the bomb. And it includes the area to the north of that, which was about seven different pieces of property now, a rescuer's orchard and a solemn place. And then that backs right up to the museum and the, and the museum entrance and the children's area. So the outdoor site is meant to be symbolic. And there's a 901 gate, a 903 gate, which frames the moment of 902 when the bomb went off. Probably the most poignant is the 168 chairs, which are stacked in nine rows, representing the nine floors of the building. There are 19 smaller chairs, as you said, Newt, for representing the children. And those are glass-based chairs with bronze backs, granite seats. And these chairs are lit at night to be beacons of hope. But they're all very individual. And they're meant to be individual. And so it's this beautiful, solemn, powerful field of empty chairs where you realize when you sit down at the dinner table and your loved one's gone, there's an empty seat. And that's what those chairs are meant to symbolize. At the end of the reflecting pool, on each side is a five-foot bronze gate with the mission statement, we come here to remember those who were killed, those who survived, and those changed forever. May all who live here know the impact of violence. May this memorial offer comfort, strength, peace, hope, and serenity. And that really frames the approach of the outdoor grounds. And then the museum is a 50,000-square-foot museum, state-of-the-art. We've worked hard to meet our visitors where they're coming from in technology and with some incredible artifacts. But really just to show the human side and to put a face to these victims of terrorism and to the families that were torn apart and to humanize what terrorists try to dehumanize. And I think that's where we've been very successful because we've had the family members and the survivors and the first responders and the journalists, the prosecutors and the defense all become our storytellers. And that's an important part. I mean, you know, I think 
you came in so quietly. There was no press, but recently a rescue team member sent us all his pictures. And there was a picture in there of him with you because he was working that night. And you look at his scrapbook, he wrote in there how powerful that was that the Speaker of the House came to these grounds and to, to support the rescue effort without fanfare, but just because you did it for the right reason. And I just think that it's so important as we look in this time of divisiveness that you just did the right thing. And that's what most people do. They just came and did the right thing at the right time to help and do whatever they could. And that's still appreciated by so many people. So, Carrie, you make a very important point, which is that not just the 168 people who died, but it's all of that extended network of their families, their friends. I mean, the total number of people who felt a deep human loss and who came together, I think, to share the pain, but also determined to lead to a better future. And I think that the fact that you continue to develop things. I know in 2001, you began an annual marathon. You also are maintained and operated by the Oklahoma City National Memorial Foundation, which is a nonprofit private organization. We're going to have a connection on our show page for people who want to get more involved and want to help with the funding of and the future of the museum. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The indictment charges that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, former Army buddies with a grudge against the government, planned the bombing, selected the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City as their target, bought and stole materials for the bomb, 
and guilty. Timothy McVeigh, guilty. Guilty of murder, guilty of conspiracy, guilty on all 11 federal charges that he faced in the Oklahoma City bombing trial. It was the worst terrorist act in American history, and Timothy McVeigh could now be sentenced to death. It's a very strange moment in American history. We'd had the Waco, Texas standoff between the Branch Davidians, who were a religious cult headed by David Koresh, and the U.S. authorities, February 28, 1993. And I remember at the time vividly how difficult that was and the kind of things that shook people up. And then in 1993, there's the World Trade Center bombing, which also involved... You know, a truck bomb that was trying to bring down the entire North Tower that killed six people did not, in fact, bring down the tower. But there were things like that out there. And along comes Timothy McVeigh. First of all, why did he choose the federal building in Oklahoma City? Well, actually, the reports say that he had looked at several federal buildings around the country, and he felt like this would have the greatest impact, or what he called collateral damage. Some suspect because it had the daycare on the second floor. Some say because the approach was right at the street. Before 1995, federal buildings were very accessible. You weren't going through magnetometers necessarily, and you could pull right up and run in. Our approach to access to our government has changed. It really was one of those things, I think, that we did worry about, that making sure that what happened here didn't continue to happen anywhere else. That was something that this event changed, but... McVeigh chose this building because he wanted a soft target and he felt like no one would be suspecting this type of event happening in Oklahoma City. It was, you know, a, a quiet, sleepy town. We just kind of voted to revitalize ourselves, but we're in the process of it. And they chose it and I think made an impact in the way they thought would change the country and the government forever. But instead, you know, we rallied and united and the country united and the martyrs did not win. So if I remember correctly, he actually went up to somewhere near Fort Riley, Kansas, to pick up the explosives he would later on use. This was really pretty thought through on his part. Yeah, you know, he got supplies from all over, I think 18 different states that he had impact on as he was dreaming up this bombing. He'd been in Kansas and but bought some items in Texas and you know, drove back and forth and came here several times, was in Arkansas some. He spent some time collecting the money to be able to buy the racing fuel and the ammonia nitrate, and it didn't just happen overnight. So you have a fairly sophisticated plan, which tragically picked Oklahoma City, but he could have gone to a number of places, if I understood it correctly. Well, yeah, I think supposedly he'd looked at Little Rock and Kansas City, maybe even Dallas, kind of in this region. But he supposedly, in what we have read, had looked at several different federal buildings, trying to see what he had the best access. And in the book that was written by a couple of journalists, he talked about Oklahoma City had collateral damage because of the daycare on the second floor, and he could see the children's artwork in the window. Absolutely brutal. Which is really a pretty cold human being who is deliberately targeting children. Well, I mean, I think it was a man without a soul. He had been frustrated by the government, what he called overreach, and what he didn't get to accomplish in the Army, and so many others were impacted because of his extreme beliefs. As part of all this, ironically, having gotten the truck down there, etc., he gets pulled over by a policeman 
about 80 miles north of Oklahoma City after the explosion because an Oklahoma State trooper noticed a missing license plate on the car, he, a yellow Mercury Marquis that he was trying to get away in. And he had a concealed weapon. He got arrested. And all that occurred 90 minutes after the bombing. So while it was partially luck, it was still pretty amazing how rapidly they picked him up. You know, remarkable. So Charlie Hanger was an Oklahoma Highway Patrol trooper. He was hearing on the radio about the work needed in Oklahoma City. He wanted to come to Oklahoma City. Headquarters said, stay on your assignment for the day. And when he turned around to go back and he saw this large mercury marquee without a license and the rest is history, as they say, but he did his work amazingly well. He took McVeigh to the jail in Noble County where Marsha Moretz, a jailer, doing her ordinary work extraordinarily well that day and, you know, put him in a jail suit, took his clothes, put him in a sealed bag where they would trace ammonia nitrate from his clothes back to that truck I mean, really great Americans did their work, which some would say it's mundane and ordinary. They just did it really well that day. Some say, you know, a lot of troopers would have just gone on by and not worried about someone not having a tag, but Charlie Hunger did that day. And when you hear his story in the museum, he talks about McVeigh saying, you know, he had a knife and a loaded gun, and he said, my gun's loaded, and Charlie Hunger said, and so is mine, as he put it to the back of his head trying to get his attention that, he was serious about this. And I think Marsha Moritz talks about, you know, he came into the jail and the TV was on showing the scenes from the bombing and he didn't even flinch. And she said, you know, to this day, she can't really believe that he could watch that television and not have any sort of remorse or reaction on his face. And I think, you know, that's the kind of person we were dealing with. And one of our points in our mission here is to make sure we're doing educational outreach and training people that there are ways to, resolve differences and get changes in government, but it's not through acts of terrorism or violence. And that's what we are focused on here. You know, one of the most emotional moments, you have a picture that became very well known about a firefighter carrying a one-year-old girl taken by a local loan officer. Talk about that picture. Well, Bailey Allman just had her first birthday on the day before, and she was in the day here of the Murrah building and she was killed. And there's a very powerful picture of a policeman bringing her body to a firefighter. And that picture of the firefighter cradling this baby child, of this darling little girl, was the front page of most newspapers the next morning, the cover of Time Magazine, Newsweek. It was a Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph. And I think it just showed the horror of what firefighters and all first responders were facing and then the innocence and the loss of people who just went to work that day or went about their life and never, never saw this coming. And some of the firefighters went into the building and they were actually saving lives a good bit after the original bombing, weren't they? Well, the firefighters and the first responders did a remarkable job. There were a lot of workers helping workers and getting them out. There were people who were major damage who their co-workers got them out to the curb to get emergency response. And there were firefighters and policemen who ran toward the building instead of running away. It really was an incredible rescue and recovery effort. And then USAR teams came in from around the country, and they were powerful and helpful. I think what was the most helpful about the national teams that came here is they helped us recover something for everyone. All the 168 victims, there was something that families got back. And I don't think we fully appreciated that until after 9-11 
and families couldn't recover any parts of their loved one's body. And it sounds so horrible to talk about, but these are real impact. These are real life things that happen following these type of terrorist attacks. And their impact on innocent people, you know, as we've talked about, is far more reaching than just the 168. Now, he actually had an accomplice, didn't he? He did. Terry Nichols was his accomplice, old Army buddy. And then a guy named Michael Fortier, who was another Army buddy, helped he and Terry kind of determine where they would place the barrels of the ammonia nitrate in the truck. And they talk about moving soup cans around on Michael's kitchen table in Kingman, Arizona. And figuring out the biggest place to have impact. And so it really was those three. Michael Fortier turned state's evidence and served a sentence, and then he was removed and put into victim protection. Terry Nichols continues to serve a life sentence, and then Timothy McVeigh was put to death in 2001. This morning, the United States of America carried out the severest sentence for the gravest of crimes. The victims of the Oklahoma City bombing have been given not vengeance, but justice. And one young man met the fate he chose for himself six years ago. For the survivors of the crime and for the families of the dead, the pain goes on. Final punishment of the guilty cannot alone bring peace to the innocent. It cannot recover the loss or balance the scales, and it is not meant to do so. Today, every living person who was hurt by the evil done in Oklahoma City can rest in the knowledge that there has been a reckoning. Wasn't there a very emotional sense, because the trial had to be moved, was it to Denver? was. So people are watching by closed-circuit television in Oklahoma City as the trial's underway in Denver. Is that correct? Yeah, they moved the federal trials to Denver, and they did some preliminary here. But remember, the federal courthouse was heavily damaged. It was on the south side of the building, and so it was not usable for several months while they rebuilt it. And so they had some preliminary trials here. Judge Richard Mage was assigned to it so that none of the local judges would be conflicted. Today's current Attorney General Merrick Garland was the lead sent here from the Justice Department to put the prosecution and the investigative teams together, and the trial was moved to Denver, and one trial was held for Timothy McVeigh, and the second one was held for Terry Nichols. And in McVeigh's case, wasn't there a real sense of justice when people learned that he had been convicted? Oh, my gosh. I was on the ground when that verdict came down, and I think they were so relieved. And in his case, they were also relieved that he had received the death sentence whenever the when that verdict came down. And Terry Nichols, it was different because he wasn't actually in Oklahoma City that day, and so he did not get put to death. And for some people struggled with that, but others were just pleased they got the guilty verdict and he would spend the rest of his life in prison. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I was startled when I read as part of your material to museum that the FBI did 28,000 interviews and had 43,000 investigative leads and three and a half tons of evidence. I mean, wow, that is an all-out effort. It remains the largest case the FBI has tried in its agency's history. And if you go to their office in D.C., and I've been there a couple of times, they still have exhibits on display. It was a remarkable effort by the federal government which is also the same federal government that gave McVeigh and Nichols a fair trial. And so I think as you balance justice, we all see justice differently, but as you balance that, you have to really stand in awe of a government who's big enough and fair enough, as people say, to be able to both prosecute the perpetrators and to give those same perpetrators a fair trial. It's a remarkable system we have. It to me. The people did have a sense that the justice was being done and that while they wouldn't bring their loved ones back to life, it at least gave them the sense that the country hadn't forgotten them. Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the hard part, Newt, because of how the laws are written, the jurisdiction of the federal government was on the eight federal law enforcement officers. So they were tried for those eight law enforcement officers. And then the other 160 had to come back to Oklahoma to be tried in the state court system of Oklahoma so the perpetrators would be held accountable for all 168. I do think that's an area where we as a government have to continue to look at and hone and to find some sort of domestic terrorism law that is, you know, enforceable and broad enough for either all terrorism. But it's kind of hard for people to understand that in a federal building, being a federal employee, the government didn't have the jurisdiction over their prosecution and that remains a little bit of a mystery today, but it's something we, we keep working on. Yeah, and I guess in a sense it goes back to our federal system and the things that the states are responsible for versus the things that the federal government's responsible for. But you're right, it is complicated and it is challenging. 
When you look back at this, because you're one of the leading experts on this event, what are the unanswered questions that still bother you that we just don't have an answer for even 26 hours later? Well, I think how an American could do this to us, I mean, how an American could do it to his own country, that's, you know, a mystery to me. How and why we couldn't have seen it coming. We know so much more now, and our law enforcement knows so much more now, and the intelligence and technology is so much better than it was 26 years ago. But I think for us, we stand amazed that an American could ever be that upset with his government that he could try to destroy it. We've seen that now since a couple of times, and I think we have to figure out ways to be able to sit down and work through these differences. So that is one issue, and I think defining and being able to prosecute domestic terrorism is an important role that we think we need to have a voice in as we work toward that because if you read the Washington Post just yesterday, it talked about domestic terrorism on a rise as high as it was in 1995 or 25 years ago, it said. So I think we as a country have to figure out how to get our arms around this and allow people to have a voice and to have the right to protest but not have the right to you know, do criminal acts. Right, left, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. We've got to figure out how to be in so many ways to come to the center and work out these differences. Well, you, I think what you're doing in the educational program you have, you're making a significant contribution to getting people to think about these difficult challenges. I sure hope so. I really do. I hope that we are making a difference, or at least causing people to think, because when you look at a world that seems so divided as we are today, we've got to figure out a way to bridge the gap and to be the bridge to letting people hear another side of the story or a bridge to understanding that violence is just senseless. It's not the way to impact change. And we actually live in an incredible country that we can work these differences out, but we just got to do it together. Most tremendous. And again, I want to remind everybody who's listening that if you're going to go to Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum has to be on your list of the most important things that you do, and I think that you'll be really impressed with the work that Carrie and her team have done to bring to life and to put in context one of the most devastating American examples of domestic terrorism. So I want to thank you, Carrie. This is really helpful, and I hope that it will bring you a number of people who learn and donate and who themselves get involved in this effort of finding a way for us to solve our problems without having this kind of extremism. Well, Mr. Speaker, thank you for having me, and thank you for being with us in our darkest hour and coming back and spending so much time with us recently. It meant a lot to us. Your attention to detail and your stories were uncanny, and I just thank you for your service and what you continue to do for our country. Thank you to my guest, Carrie Watkins. You can read more about the Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, Listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.